We acknowledge this podcast was recorded on Aboriginal land. This land is and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Feeling Nostalgic. I'm your host Demi Lynch and on today's show we have a pop culture queen. She is a pop culture nerd. She knows all things celebrity, gossip, entertainment, pop culture. It is none other than Laura Brodnick. She is the host of the daily entertainment podcast The Spill and I have been a fan of hers ever since the podcast started which was like oh gosh it was like three years ago now and I've been listening to her she's been in my ears from Monday to Friday ever since and oh I'm obsessed with her and I just love how much of a nerd she is with pop culture because that is definitely me so I hope you all enjoy today's episode where we talk all things movie premieres Gilmore Girls Buffy how the Hollywood Reporter got it so very wrong when they talked about the top 100 shows of all time, and also Laura's very strange obsession with Emily in Paris. Anyway, I hope you all have a good time listening to this episode. It's a really, really fun chat. So sit back, relax, grab a bev, grab a snack. Let's get nostalgic. Laura Brognick, thank you so much for coming on to today's podcast. I feel like you have been in my ears for the past three years now. How are you, my dear? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for having me. I love talking to other people who have this like intense interest in pop culture. This is my idea of heaven. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We are going to go into all things pop culture today because I believe you are the queen of pop culture. You know all things and you know all the things that people need to know and even the things we really don't need to know you know it all my dear (laughs) yes you are the host of the spill you've been doing it for so you've been doing it for three years now and i've been an og listener i've been listening i was listening when you and key reese started it which i have to say how is key reese i i love your co-hosts but i do miss my key reese Oh, I miss her too. I know. It's okay. You can hold space for both. She's doing really well. We um and thank you for being an OG listener. That's so nice. Although it's it's quite terrifying you heard some of those early days where we were just <laughs> figuring out how to podcast because that was definitely not either of our background. But yeah, I mean the good the sad thing about key leaving is that is not having her on the pod. But the good thing is that we are now lifelong friends. Um, we still see each other a lot. Her daughter's my favorite person and she's having a very fancy wedding very soon that I have to go and book flights to as soon as I finish this or she's going to kill me. (laughs) I bought three dresses for her wedding, but I haven't booked my flights yet. So, you know, priorities. The priorities. Yes, of (laughs) course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as someone that's in, that is heavily in the world of pop culture, what I like to ask my guests every single week is what pop culture moments or movie, TV show, gossip, they are invested at the moment. Like what pop culture moment are you loving right now? Oh, pop culture moment. I mean, I'm going to sound a bit trashy. There's obviously always some serious stuff and some lighter stuff. That's the good thing about pop culture. But I think in this moment in time, I mean, it, mo- it moves so quickly. Sometimes what we do on the spill on a Monday feels old by a Friday. Yeah. But our big stories for this week, obviously, we're the Jada Pinkett Smith memoir being released. I just think, look, reading over that is such a fascinating insight into this woman who's had her story taken away from her over the last couple of years after the Oscars slap and kind of hearing about one of Hollywood's biggest marriages. The Taylor Swift story is still ongoing and interesting in so many levels. We're kind of seeing this moment right now where she's been like brought up and held up so much and there's starting to be a bit of backlash, which is so predictable. So that's always happening. And the biggest debate in our office right now and in my group chats is that The Hollywood Reporter released its 50 biggest TV shows of all time and my all-time favorites are not on there. So I'm angry at the world about that. <laughs> we did it on today's podcast and I think I went into a rage blackout. But yes, that is what I'm, that's what I'm thinking about right now. All the big all things. Right. All right. I need, I need to try to see if I can predict which ones you're mad at for not being <laughs> on there. All right. From my knowledge of listening to you for all these years. Okay. Um, Buffy? Was that Absolutely. not on there? Can you believe that? I don't want to start ranting again, but that was it, wasn't, it wasn't even on the list. It wasn't not that the fact that it's off the top 10, 
but it wasn't even on the list. And I just think that's a massive oversight, not just because it's my favorite TV show of all time, spoiler alert, but there's statistics to back up. I'm sorry. I sound like such a nerd. I'm so sorry. (laughs) There are statistics to back up the fact that Buffy is the most studied show in the world. Like there's more university and school courses on Buffy than any other show. Mm. And academics reference it more than any other show to the point where like Slate magazine did a huge breakdown and Mm. they had to stop counting after Buffy was 200% over all other shows academics mentioned. Yeah. Plus, you know, we're still talking about it 20 years later. I was like, what else does this show need to do? So I think it's because men chose a lot of the, you know, top shows. Mm. And obviously it didn't speak to them like it spoke to me. But yes, that is what I'm angry about. Good prediction. I'm so predictable. (laughs) All right. Well then, what would be your own top five list then? I'm not going to say 10 or 50. I think that might might take a while. What would be your top five then? Okay. On my uh, well, I mean, we're getting personal now because I can I can distinguish between what's critically acclaimed and what I just like. So okay. I, I, on the top list, they had Mad Men was the top show, followed by The Sopranos. Um, I do agree with those. My top list would be Buffy the Vampire Slayer, obviously, and then mm-hmm. The Walking Dead, which mm-hmm. for a time was the most watched show in the world. So I think that should count for was something. Walking Dead not on it. No, wasn't on it at all. This <gasps> is what I mean, you know what else wasn't on it? Gilmore Girls. What? And I don't care if that makes me a sappy, corny oh. millennial. That is one of my favorite shows of all time. And the overarching kind of like pop culture conversation around it is still ongoing. Mm-hmm. And also Sex and the City. Sex and the City was only number 50. And I still maintain that what? Sex and the City, for all its faults, the original yeah. series, is still one of the most groundbreaking shows that's ever happened. Like nothing's come along to kind of take that conversation mm-hmm. in a new direction. That episode in season six, A Woman's Right to Shoes, is still one of the most game-changing oh. television shows, episodes of all time. So that would be my list. I'm sorry, The Hollywood Reporter. They got it wrong. They got it wrong. How? Oh, yeah. You know what? You know what? Maybe Mamma Mia should, like, put out their own version of a list. And, yeah, I think you should, like, put together your list, I reckon. Oh, yes, I am. Yes, we've we've kind of put out an article um, discla- um, discrediting them, which I don't think they'll take very seriously. Awesome. But yes, we are putting together <laughs> our own list. What would what would be on yes. top of your list, though? I'm always so interested to ask people. Oh, all right. Okay, all right. <laughs> I don't know an order yet because that mm-hmm. requires a lot of research, a lot of planning, a lot of, like, highlighting, a lot I of... I understand. Yeah, that cries all the time. Uh, <laughs> all right, Fleabag would definitely be there because that's just like this, like season two, episode one, the dining, the dinner scene, like mwah, chef's kiss, work oh, of brilliant. art. With I the think way that they... was number thirty-two on their list, so at least it was there, but it should have been higher. Mm, should have been higher, absolutely. <laughs> all right, um, so okay, Fleabag. Um, oh, oh my god, what was it? Okay, oh, okay, Fleabag, Pose, yes. um. Uh, actually, definitely Sex in the City. Oh, I know it's a sitcom, but I think it's so smart and clever. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I am the biggest Brooklyn Nine-Nine nerd. It's just so smart and clever and funny. And you know what? Bob's Burgers. Oh, I haven't watched that, but I hear, I hear good things. I hear it's very smart. It's so... It, like, it's smart and funny. It's so smart and funny. It's just... Oh, amazing so 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 good oh um, yeah highly 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 recommend you'll just laugh so so much and so many of the characters you can relate to it's just brilliant 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 tv i'll I'll put it on the list yes put it on the very long list i assume you have right now Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) (laughs) so the idea of this whole podcast is talking about how pop culture has influenced us growing up our careers so i know we spoken about briefly gilmore girls I want to talk about how that influenced you growing up because I don't know about you, but it definitely influenced me a lot. Um, For those who don't know, it came out in the early 2000s and it was just massive. So, so massive and just something that we hadn't seen before. What was your experience like growing up with Gilmore Girls? Yeah, that's a really pivotal one in my mind. And I think that's why, um, you know, like every TV show, when a couple of years has passed, people go back and point out faults. But I think like, that's only important for shows going forward. You have to look back at shows at the time mm. they came out and just accept them for what they were. 
at the time. And Gilmore Girls, not only did I love it because I loved the characters in this magical world, but it was it was probably the last show that my family and I really watched together. So I have two sisters and a brother and a mum. We grew up in a single parent household, not a lot of money. And we watching TV as, as well as reading books together and playing together, watching TV together was such a big thing. But as we got older, we obviously became invested in different TV shows And so Gilmore Girls is the last show I remember us really watching together as a family. Even my brother, his friends make fun of him because he knows all the words to every episode. But (laughs) we would, we would like sit in the lounge room together, sometimes pull out mattresses and put the aircon on because um, it was North Queensland. So it was always hot. And Mm -hmm, we watched mm -hmm. Gilmore Girls. And not only would we watch it, but we would tape it on a VHS. How old do I sound right now? And we would watch it it. again during the week until, so we probably watched about three times until the new episode came out. And I've watched it a million times since then. It's my comfort show. But also it just, it sometimes brings us back together as a family. Like when the new Netflix series came out of Gilmore Girls, do you remember a few years ago? It was a really important moment, a year in the life. I've tried to push that out of my brain. I admittedly oh, have to say, have, no, no. I didn't like it. Gotta, that's okay. The secret is to watch it like fifty times in a row until it, it <laughs> becomes part of your brain, like the original Gilmore Girls is. Yeah, because my sisters and I, we were all living in different states at the time, different cities. Mm. So when this came out on Netflix, we sound like such nerds. We all flew together to be in the same town. And so we could Aww. watch it together. So we spent the whole weekend just dedicated to the new Gilmore Girls. So we spent the first day, we watched it all the way through in silence. So we could really take it in. Yeah. And then the next day we watched it again and with commentary. And we had all the same food that they have on the show. Like we had Gilmore Girl themed lunch, dinner, breakfast. We have the exact same cups, mugs that Luke had in his restaurant from the same manufacturer. I love that. My brother didn't watch the whole thing with us because he had a few limits by now, but he brought us (laughs) over dinner that was a Gilmore Girls themed dinner as well. So yeah, it's one of those shows, like I love the characters, I love the writing, um, but for me, that's like the ultimate kind of family show. Like that's my, that's my family history in that show. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And I love hearing other people like love it so much like when the yeah when that netflix um was it four episodes and try to remember now was it the four yeah, yeah four episodes that came out each one was a season yeah and um, yes. you can still go to the set of stars hollow it's on the warner brothers lot yes i've been yeah it's on if you go to <laughs> If you ever go to LA and you want to go on the Warner Brothers tour like an absolute nerd, the um <laughs> the set is still there because it's the same set they use for every TV show. It's shameless, Pretty Little Liars. If you look in the background, it's all the same buildings. And I remember just pushing my hands up against Miss Patty's dance studio because it's all still set up and like literally tearing up. <laughs> Such a nerd. No, but I understand. Special. I absolutely get it, honey. You're talking to a film nerd here. Yeah. yeah. What I was saying when that when the when the um limited series when the limit what a quarter quarter sequel prequel whatever when it came out my friend and I we like were just like we're gonna do a full marathon of these four episodes mm. no breaks we're gonna just she put she put out her couch and we had all the snacks it was full Lorelai <laughs> insane amount of snacks and stuff so yeah I absolutely understand it was a the moment. only way to do it it's uh-huh. about indulgence that's the whole point of the show absolutely absolutely. Did you find when you were growing up, I found like people either do, they, they see they relate more to Lorelai or to Rory. Who were you, who was, which character did you seem to more relate to or always have like sympathy for? Because for me, it was always Lorelai. Lorelai was really? my Absolutely. Love, uh-huh. love her. That's funny. As I, when I was in high school, I wanted to dress like Lorelai Gilmore. So I started wearing like knee high boots and jackets and stuff, even though I was like 14 and in yes. a tropical climate, but it looked really silly. <laughs> But um, I, I related to Rory growing up, and I'm still really protective of her. I hate, like, obviously she has her moments, but I'm really protective mm. of her as a character, and I don't understand how people can love the show and hate her when she's such a big part of it. But especially because I was often, like, in the same year she was in high school. We obviously have very different high school experiences. But I was going through, like, year 11 and 12 when she was. We both went to school and did journalism. Again, I didn't mm-hmm. go to Yale, so it's not the same thing. So I really kind of thought of her. It's so weird watching it now. Like the first year I watched it back when I was older than Lorelai in the first, because she's only 32 in the first season. And so the first time I watched it Oh, that makes you feel weird. I know. that makes you feel so weird. Even though the whole point was (laughs) she was a young mom. And so the first time I watched it, I was older than her. That was very strange. But now I just relate to her so much more as a character. Now that I'm an Mm. adult, I can see that she has a point. 
And that she's yeah. also very flawed. I never saw that growing up, but now I just see that she's just a flawed, she's just a normal person. She's got good and bad. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I just loved the relationship with her parents because I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed this in recent years. You never see like the relationships of like say the main characters with their parents as an mm-hmm. ongoing thing they would just come in for an episode or two and that's kind of it that's what i love so much about gilmore girls it was talking about like the generational trauma yeah. of like and like the ongoing of how relatives can be in your life sometimes and i was just like mm-hmm. oh my god i feel this oh honey yeah yeah, exactly. It covers mm-hmm. all these different things. And I also think with Melissa McCarthy's character with Suki, like, oh. I know that, you know, she didn't get to do as much on the show. She always talks about now the fact that she didn't get to do her big comedy on the show. And she's so happy she's doing that now. But I also think that was also the first time I saw a plus size character on TV. And the storyline was never about her weight or what she mm-hmm. looked like. It was mm-hmm. just always seen as desirable and funny and successful and in a loving relationship and a parent. And it was just never mentioned. And I, I kind of didn't realize that until I was older. I was like, oh, that, I think that's the first plus size person I ever saw on TV who just was allowed to be a beloved character and wasn't the butt of a joke. I realized that when I was older, rewatching it mm-hmm. as well, because the thing is, Especially, it sounds bad to say, but especially in that time and the fact that Suki worked with food, she loved food. She was like, she wasn't just a cook. Food was her life in creating, food was an art for her. So the fact that they didn't turn it into some joke and be like, oh, she loves food because she's fat. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, and they she was so never embarrassed easy. about eating. Yeah, yeah. That, oh, that's so true. Never embarrassed mm. about eating or talking about food as we know is like such a stigma still and very much a stigma through pop culture. So yeah, I know it gets a lot of fuck for fat shaming because there is a lot of fat shaming oh, absolutely. dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. that was the humour at the time. But I mm. think that that character really stands up. I don't think there's many other characters, even on TV now, that, uh, that have that storyline absolutely absolutely yeah like obviously like the show isn't perfect like um the way they've portrayed like some certain characters are like stereotyping oh yeah but but that like out of but that part i am very very proud of and i am very happy with how they did how they did that with suki and they gave her a love story and it had yeah nothing to do with her weight nothing to do with her weight it was just oh (laughs) really really appreciated that yes Younger Demi, when she was struggling with her weight, no, oh, no, sorry. Young Demi, when she was like struggling with her body image, like, yeah, that was just, that was awesome. Really, really loved that. Yeah. yeah. So I want to ask, this is something I've been wanting to ask for a while because we're both journalists and we both love pop culture mm-hmm. and we both love a good rom-com. Yes. <laughs> Growing up, the rom-coms that we grew up with, every single lead character was in some way a journalist. She worked in magazines. She was a news anchor. She was a writer. I'm very curious how that has influenced you and your career in journalism. Being someone that loves pop culture and literally every second movie you'll watch, (laughs) that person works in magazines. It's all glamorous. They're wearing heels every day. They're Mm. carrying the magazine everywhere. Like, was there any one, do you remember if there was any rom-coms you watched when you were younger and you were just like, I want to be just like them, a journalist just like them? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, I was always heavily influenced by, like, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, the kind of, Of you know, fancy magazine job, Um, Devil Wears Prada, even, I'm not much of a reality TV person, but I did watch The Hills religiously when it was out because Mm. that just was the most glamorous thing I'd ever seen. It's interesting. I think it hit me later in life. Like I was a slow starter because um, I've only just worked in pop culture and entertainment journalism for the last five years. So previously to that, um, I was always like, I'm going to work in newspapers. I'm going to be a a news reporter. Um, So the first 10 years of my career, it was very not like the glamorous magazine girls that I'd grown up watching on TV that like didn't even cross my mind to do that. Um, I was a police reporter for many years. I was a crime reporter. I was a general news reporter. And I kind of, after doing that for 10 years, I was like, okay, I just, it's very difficult always being there on people's very worst day, even though you're not doing as much as the police or emergency services or ambulances, you're just always talking to those people and having to go do the death knocks and following up with these stories. And I think that's really important work, but I need a little break. And I also kind of realized that newspapers are kind of on their way out. So I started at Mamma Mia just to get a little taste of um, digital media as their weekend editor. 
and somehow fell into doing entertainment journalism. And I'd never done it before, but it's kind of become my career path for the moment. And I think now I'm having, I'm having that moment now in my thirties when I should have had it in my teen years of, (laughs) you know, living in, of having that kind of, I, this is so lame, that kind of sex in the city lifestyle of like, I live in the middle of a big city and I have my own apartment and I'm a writer for a living and I get to go to fancy events and pre broken foot, I wore heels everywhere and (laughs) kind of having those moments. And it's so funny because I think there's a lot of stereotypes about women's media and most of them aren't true, but some of them are because there's that moment in how to lose a guy in 10 days where one, I think it's Catherine Hahn's character doesn't want to write about her breakup. And they're like, oh, that's fine. And they're like, who will write about her pain? Like someone's (laughs) going to write about it. And I was like, oh yeah, that is, that's women's media. It's like, we won't make you do it, but we're going to do it some way. It has influenced me quite a bit. Now I do realize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slowly as you go through your career, you're just like, oh, I'm, I am just like Andy Sachs. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Andy Sachs, like, I want to be Andy Sachs post makeover, but I'm still yes. a little pre makeover, even though I still like the red lip and all the glam. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. The beauty cupboard, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Like, we don't have the same one they had in that movie, but having like the beautiful products everywhere and the excitement and stuff is still very much the world of women's media. Love it. Yes. And one part of the glamorous aspect of it all, I see it all the time on socials, is the movie premieres, the TV show premieres, even musical premieres. Mm -hmm. You have been to your fair share of them, my dear. You've been to many. Mm -hmm. So I would like to know what are the best and worst things about a premiere? best and worst things well it depends if if you're working the red carpet which I used to do a lot but not only now if it's like a really big red carpet um is its own kind of particular nightmare sometimes Mm. it's really wonderful and you get to interview a whole bunch of incredible people and get really um interesting information like one year at the Arias um we were celebrating Australian music so we were asking everyone to sing a few lines of their favorite Australian song and that was so amazing standing there with like the best musicians the best musicians in Australia and having these moments of them singing and you're filming with them um and then we've got to do like really like just talk to so many interesting celebrities and then you get to see some little things moments behind the scenes of celebrities that you wouldn't normally see like I was on a red carpet once and this man came up behind me and he's like, oh, I'm so happy you're here. And I turn around and it's Tom Cruise because it was his premiere. <laughs> it was like an hour and a half early. Yeah. And he was so nice to all the journalists. And I know, I know there's like a lot of problematic oh, yeah. stuff about him, mm. but like this is his public persona that he's so carefully crafting. Mm. Um, and then he's like, I'm so glad you guys are here. I'm just going to run across the road and say hello to them. And he pointed across the road and it was stacked with people, which is always to me the most interesting thing about a movie premiere is that it's a long day for the journalists who are staying on the carpet and filming and then going in to watch the movie. But people, even now, people line up across the road at these movie premieres just for the, a glimpse of their favourite star from a yes. distance for hours. I've seen people line up for four hours just to see wow. a glimpse of, um, of someone they love. Like I think that's mm. how strong fandom still is. And sometimes it's very intense. Like I was staying on a red carpet once and um, Chris Hemsworth was next, was on one side of me and Mark Ruffalo was on the other. We were about to do an interview because it was an Avenger. It was a Thor premiere and the barricade started to push in around us and started to like nearly fall in because the fans were, they weren't being like me or like intense or anything. They were just so happy and so excited. And there were so many of them that they started pushing the barricades over. So seeing stuff like that, seeing Tom Cruise, like run across the road, spend an hour and he's like don't film this but obviously we all remembered so maybe his yeah. PR plan works I <laughs> um seeing him do that is always super interesting but then you have the bad days um I was on an Aria's red carpet once and it was pouring rain and they put a cover up but just to cover the celebrities not the journalists which fair we yeah. weren't performing or anything. And so we were trying to protect our camera equipment with all the umbrellas and everything because we still had to film. So we couldn't be protected. It was raining so hard. And I had tape hair extensions in. I've had oh, many bad no. hair extensions, but they were the worst ones. Mm. And they started dissolving in the rain because they, they were a bit ratty. And then I was interviewing the Veronicas. And as I was asking them a question, I leaned over to put the microphone in front of Jessica's face. And my a hair extension fell off in a massive clump, wet clump, right onto her beautiful shoe. Oh. And we both looked down at it and, it and it looked like a dead rat lying on her foot. 
and I was so horrified I couldn't speak. And Jessica Origliasso just said, it's all right, babe, and just kicked it off and just kept going with the interview. Like, they were so chill about it. What so, a professional. Oh, I, I love know, that. She was great. <laughs> she was great. So you have a lot of these good moments and funny moments. But my tolerance for rude celebrities is just at an all-time low. Like, I just think, mm. you know, there's a lot of celebrities, and it's always male celebrities most of the time because they can get away with it. There's one particular interview I had at the beginning of this year who I won't name him, but I'm sure you can figure it out if you look back over our mm. podcast, who was so rude and aggressive to us. Um, we were there to support his movie. It wasn't a great movie, but, you know, it had a lot of strain people in it, so we're trying to support it. Um, he was really rude and said he didn't want to answer questions and that he hated being on the red carpet. He hated doing interviews. And as Jeez. he turned away, he, like, threw his arms around so much that he nearly knocked the camera out off its stand that it was on. And I was just like, sir... I'm, I'm at work. You know what I mean? Like, I'm at work. You're at work. There's no other workplace where you can be that aggressive to someone and it's okay. Yeah. And I see that a lot recently with male celebrities. And so that's the downside of it because just before that, I'd been on so many red carpets with Margot Robbie, who's always so professional and so lovely. And I see her get re- asked really inappropriate questions mm. from mostly male journalists. And she's just so professional because she knows if she does one wrong thing, that'll blow up into a big news story. But we have mm-hmm. all these, a lot of a- actors and a lot of them are Australian, not always like, you know, it's a universal thing, but there's a lot of male actors who are very aggressive on red carpets and everyone just yeah. kind of brushes it aside because that's just how they are. They're an artist. And I just, my tolerance for that is an all time low. So next time that happens, I've, I'm walking away. <laughs> but most of the time it's fun. I feel like I've painted that in a bad light. Most of the time it's very glam and fun and you just have yeah. to hide flats behind the little barricade to wear while you're doing the interviews and your slippy heels on and go into the movie when it's time to actually watch it yeah (laughs) I have to ask what's it like actually being in like the the cinema part being in the chairs and everyone's watching the movie like are people actually watching the movie or are they just like taking photos because you know like say the director and then some of the actors are at the front row or stuff like that like or is it like a proper cinema experience and everyone's just like okay we'll be really quiet we've got to properly watch this now (laughs) Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. If you're at a screening at the moment, the security is so intense that they'll either take your phone or they'll watch you. I've sat in so many screenings for movies that are just about to come out, but they're still under the confidentiality agreements. And so there's a security guard who sits and watches you with night vision goggles. So oh, like wow. they watch you. Yeah, they watch you or you watch the movie, which is fine in like a really big cinema. But I've also sat if I'm about to do a big celebrity interview for like the star of the movie, and it's just me at the screening. It's just me sometimes and a security guard in night vision goggles watching me. So that's, that's sometimes a bit intense. And I was like, I'm so sorry. Do you mind if I have a snack? Like, I've got a really busy day. This is my only chance to eat kind of thing, um, which is always fun. But wait, um, yeah, I need to backtrack. So, wait, it's you in a room <laughs> watching a movie with someone watching you and that's it. Yeah, I've done that a few times. <laughs> oh, my God. Level. And I was like, you already took my phone. Do you think I have a hidden camera in my purse? I don't know. They take movie <laughs> security. It's, it's very serious. It's not a joke. Very intensely. Wow. But yeah, premieres, it's different. I think sometimes there's there's such an intense energy in the room when the cast are there and the, and the director. And um, if it's in Australia, they often have a lot of their family and friends there. And so there's just this electric feeling in the room and it's like watching even though it's a movie a lot of the time it's like watching uh a a live stage show because people clap and cheer when their people come on so that side of it's really beautiful and it is really like sometimes I've sat next to people and I've I've been able to watch the expressions on their face like I've done that with uh, you know Chris Hemsworth or Margot Robbie or that sort of stuff where or Melissa McCarthy where you can watch their face watch the audience react to their movie and when they get a big laugh or people gasp it's a really beautiful feeling the downside is now that everyone's an influencer and that (laughs) a lot of the time you have these cast members on stage and they're you know they they come up and talk on stage before the movie and I always find that really interesting and there's so many people in the audience who are filming themselves filming them so they've got them in the background but they're filming their own reaction and I understand like social media currency and that sort of thing but I just think when else are you going to get to see, like, at the premiere of Elvis, Tom Hanks got up and, like, led us in a sing-along of Elvis songs and everyone was, oh. and he and Baz Luhrmann, and they were clapping and we were clapping and Tom Hanks, like, leaned down and shook my hand because I was the only one not filming. I was like, I just want to be oh. in the moment. Like, I film a bit, obviously, you know, because you got to post yeah. and stuff. But I feel yeah. like people, yeah, sometimes people lose the magic because they're too worried about what they're going to put on their own social channels instead of 
what they're experiencing in the cinema. So, yeah, it can be a wild ride. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine at the moment it definitely would just be so interesting because people, they're in work mode, but at the same time, like, it's entertainment and they, you know, this is entertaining and, you know, see the celebrities that they love and adore, you just... Yeah, we don't know how to control yourself. Just like, oh my God, what I do? I need to do this for work. But at the same time, I just want to like, just listen to every word they say. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what celebrity that you've met over the years, like during interviews and premieres and stuff, were you just like, almost to a sense you had no self-control of like, you were just full on blank. Like you full on blanked when you saw them. You're just like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you. I don't, I don't know how to function. <laughs> what is life? What is have you ever had that moment with a particular celebrity? Yeah, the heart. I've really picked the wrong line of work because I have a really hard and fast rule now that I don't interview anyone from my favorite TV shows, only because really? I think yeah, and it's really hard. Like I've come close, especially recently, a few people from like The Walking Dead and Gilmore Girls and Buffy have been in other shows, and someone will be at work will say like, "Laura, you have to do this interview." Like Lauren, Lauren Graham from um, Gilmore <gasps> Girls, Laura like Gilmore, has been yeah. offered to me as an interview so many times. And I always say to my editors without a hint of, like, I'm not being sarcastic or dramatic, I will, I'll lose my job before I talk to that woman. <laughs> that is the only caveat to that is I did have to interview Melissa McCarthy this year, which you was really... Right. I oh. did, I did, because she was there for Little Mermaid and that was such a big, important movie. And out of all the Disney remakes, I really loved it. And um, I just wanted to interview Halle Bailey, her co-star who plays Ariel. And they said to me, I think I was the only journalist in Australia who was like, can I just have Halle and not Melissa? <laughs> and they were like, no, no, they're doing it together. And I think they, th- they must have thought I hated Melissa McCarthy. But the truth oh. was I love her so much. And I walked into the room. I just to try and not make eye contact with her the whole time <laughs> and just not look her in the eye. Because I just think that TV shows, as you can probably tell from my craziness this episode us are so important and they're I think they're a separate world to the pop culture and the world that we live in which is kind of more newsy and so I like to keep my favorite tv characters in their world like I don't follow any of them on social media I don't seek out news about them and I don't interview them because if Sarah Michelle Gellar exists then Buffy the Vampire Slayer doesn't (laughs) exist you know what I mean yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got burnt a bit in my youth when I didn't know any better I interviewed Eliza Dushku who plays Faith in Buffy and oh. she was wonderful and lovely mm-hmm. but I was just so intense and she said something about her her own life like what year she graduated college and I corrected her because I knew the year and I knew she'd said it wrong and I honestly think to this day she has a restraining order against me. But after that, I tried to watch Buffy and all I could see was me prepping for the interview, the notes, what she said, what I said, and all of a sudden that magic was gone. So I don't interview those people anymore. But to answer your question, yes, Melissa McCarthy was wonderful. I think I teared up I think I teared up um speaking to her. This year I interviewed Kate Blanchett and that was amazing because she was so smart and so ethereal looking and as she was talking to me and we were having like a really intense kind of back and forth about a movie and like you know kind of do you say it's an Australian movie and I said like it's a really important movie and she said no I don't like people to call my movies important it makes them sound like work and and as we're having this like really interesting back and forth I was like you were just like I've grown up watching you and you're just such an important part of film history I can't believe we're sitting with like basically our knees touching so we're so close together on this platform um, and then Emma Thompson, I interviewed her and I grew up watching, you know, Much Ado About Nothing and Sense and Sensibility. And obviously everyone loves her in Love Actually. And she's done so many other things. But we had this really intense interview that was nearly an hour long about so many different things from like motherhood to sex and orgasms and fame and everything. And afterwards, she stood up and hugged me and said that was a really great interview. And I still I think about that moment all the time. It's like whenever I'm a little sad, I'll just like think about that moment as something really great but yeah you have so many kind of yeah there's so many interactions I've had that are really positive like I interviewed A.D. Bryant for her tv show Shrill and we had a really beautiful conversation about being plus size and body standards and entertainment and clothes and I think about that interview a lot of the time and yeah there's just been so many so many interactions over the years where it has been and I interviewed Greta Gerwig this year for Barbie yes, of course. and that mm-hmm. was just to sit in a room and uh, well twice because we had like a bit of a, a mixer which was so fun where like we went down to Bondi Beach and a couple of journalists were in the room with her and the cast and we got to ask them questions and have drinks and stuff and the next day we filmed an interview with 
when I filmed an interview with all the cast and I just remember sitting across from Greta Gerwig and just thinking about how much I love all her movies and everything she says and and just yeah that was a pretty big moment but yeah there, there are so many really like the good yeah. outweighs the bad for sure yeah absolutely yeah mm-hmm. I am curious I so to go a bit backtrack a bit I am curious though like as you're someone that is obsessed with pop culture and you live and breathe TV mm. movies, as we have seen with, as we've seen with like <laughs> your joy of Mr. Melissa McCarthy and, and Sarah Michelle Gellar and stuff. How do you make sure you separate the joy of TV movies, you know, getting obsessed and invested in shows like, you know, walking dead and stuff like that. How do you make sure you separate that from your work and not thinking, Oh, this TV show I'm watching at the moment oh, I'm really loving it, I'm enjoying it for entertainment, oh, this can be turned into content, though. Like, do you try to make sure you separate that or does it always intertwine? Yeah, that's that's a really good question because it's something I think about a lot and mm. I do hate when my TV shows that are kind of my passion become work and so I had that. And it doesn't happen a lot because I, I don't think, apart from The Walking Dead that's been going for 11 years, I don't have a, a recent TV show that I've fallen in love with. I actually think that nowadays it's very hard for people to have favorite TV shows because they don't digest them in the proper way is what I think. Um, Mm, The way we did when we were young where, you know, we used to like watch it once a week and it would come out and you'd be obsessed with this episode for a week and then the season would end and then you'd wait for the next one and shows would go for seven years. And so you'd watch an episode every week for seven years and that's how it became your favorite show. Whereas I think now it's very, our attention spans are very diluted because the algorithms of Netflix and other streaming platforms are very much like, here's a whole show we're dropping on Friday night. And the idea is that you'll watch it all Friday night, all Saturday, you'll finish it on Sunday morning and you'll think about it so much, but you're watching all the episodes back to back. So they all run together quite a bit. And then you're looking at your phone, which again, we didn't do, I sound so old, you know, looking at your phone and stuff, you're, you know, doing other things. And then you just, it's just gone. You don't think about it again. So as much as there's been a lot of brilliant TV in the last 10 years, I'm lucky that my favorites are a little bit protected and I'm also lucky that my workplace doesn't really cover The Walking Dead or anything like that. Or any um, and just like that was a hard one this year because Sex and the City is my absolute, is, you know, one of my absolute favorite shows of all time and means so much to me. And with the reboot coming back, that's something that our website, Mamma Mia, covered extensively. And I had to be really open at the top. I think I was doing um, one of the Out Loud bonus recaps that we did Um and I said to Mia Friedman and um, Claire Stevens, who I was hosting with, just so you guys know, like, I haven't read, I haven't listened to the Writer's Room podcast. I haven't read anything with the actors, really. I'm just going into this like a fan. And I only wrote one thing. I mean, I guess that's one of the good things about being one of the bosses is that you can delegate. Um, I ended up delegating quite a bit of the um, other articles to other writers. And I only wrote one piece because I didn't want to have to be rushing and watching it in the afternoon, like, or getting a screener, which we can do, which is great. But, like, you get a screener and you watch it in the office on someone's computer and everyone's sitting around, everyone's taking notes, and I just don't think that's the vibe. When I watched... Is that how that works? Is, yeah. Yeah, which is what we did. So I, I was only on the Mum Merit Loud recap episodes for two episodes until the other host came back, thank God, because um, <laughs> because um, we had to pre-watch, yeah, the screeners in the office. And so you're just sitting on an office chair and everyone's writing notes and it's fine, but I like to watch And Just Like That in Sexicity, like, especially in Just Like That because it's coming out weekly. Mm. You know, I'll get home, I'll sit on my velvet couch, I'll have comfy clothes on, I make myself a Cosmo because I'm such a nerd. And I'll like, you know, light some candles and I'll put my phone away and I'll really like take it in. So yeah, it is, it is really hard when once a TV show becomes content, it does take, I think some of the fun out of it. But at the same time, the good thing about talking about pop culture and TV shows is it gives you this platform to discuss all of these bigger, interesting issues. And so that's the good side of it too, is that the conversations that you would have with your friends and family or in your group chats become your work. So it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's so true. Well, luckily, you're not a pop culture journalist like in the early 2000s or the late mm-hmm. 90s, like because there was definitely not compared to now. I think there's probably more analysis now compared to back then, but there's mm-hmm. definitely was analysis of Buffy and also Gilmore Girls. So lucky, <laughs> lucky you weren't a journalist back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there a pop culture moment? I, I, I bet there's a couple that you just 
like a pop culture moment that you just cannot feel alive for you get into understand and you're just like when will this blow over because it's my job and I have to report on it but I just don't care (laughs) do you ever have moments like that oh yeah like at least once a week that's the thing when sometimes people say to me like oh I can't believe you just you did a podcast and I'm like I just don't care and I was like I don't care either (laughs) you think this is you think this weird story about some random celebrity is keeping me awake at night it's not we just had to do a podcast that day And it's my job to find an angle. But I think for me, it's anything reality TV, which I don't say that in a bad way. We all have our, you know, guilty pleasures. And I know that also reality TV has given us a lot of important conversations, Mm. but I can't get into it. So this whole Scandal thing, I just published an article this morning that was a follow-up on the Scandal stuff. And Mm. I was like, I just cannot (laughs) think about this anymore. I can't care about it. I understand how important it was. And I'm not rubbishing anyone who... Like, if I was watching those shows and a big affair like that came out, I would also be riveted. But yeah. I just, uh, yeah, it's I, that just washes over my head. Anything reality TV, anything Housewives, even though I've interviewed multiple Real Housewives stars over the years, because I actually find people who are on reality TV so fascinating. Mm. What compel? I know it's fame, but also the inner workings of your mind to go on a reality show are just fascinating. And I've been on a lot of reality TV sets and I find them interesting. So I guess that's one thing I find that interesting from a work perspective, but yeah. the constant conversation around it is, is too much. <laughs> that's probably then a good thing then that that is only a work content. That's only work. So then yeah. you can fully deep dive, go on the set and actually like mm. see what the, what is it like being on set? Like, are you just like on a chair, like near where all the cameras are and you're just like, you know, like writing in your notepad, just like watching everyone for like behind the corner or something like that. What yeah, does it normally it dep- entail? Oh yeah. It depends. Like I find film and TV sets so interesting, but they are also mm. the most boring place. And the, the people on them say this too. They're the most boring place you could ever be, <laughs> but the most hardworking. And also I just find them so interesting. So if you're on a big blockbuster set, it can be really like the sets can sometimes be amazing because they've constructed these entire worlds. Like I was on the set for Dora the Explorer, which I know wasn't a big blockbuster, but they made, they made this entire world on the Gold Coast of this like jungle that the Dora Explorer, the characters was live action goes into. And I remember like walking through, I felt it feels like you're in an actual rainforest. And I like leant down and like moved a rock and there were like bugs under the rock. Like the camera's never going to see that. But it was just, and the same, I went to the set of Unreal in Canada, you know, that show that was about reality TV. Oh, that would would have been in my list. That would have been in my list. Yeah, yeah, that that was amazing. Also, talk about meeting people from TV shows you like. Sherry Appleby (gasps) was on this show, um, Roswell. I don't know if you ever watched it. I was Mm. obsessed with Roswell and she was the lead in high school. And then she came, she was directing that episode as well as being the star. And so I was on the set in Canada for a few days and they were filming season two. And she came in the little director's tent and sat, and we like sat like with our arms pressed against each other for 40 minutes. And I'm having a panic uh. attack because it's always <laughs> from Roswell. And then yeah. we kind of started to make friends over the, like, the days I was there. Like, you know, she was really friendly and smart and we talk heaps. And on the last day before I flew back to Australia, I was like, I'm going to tell her. I'm going to tell her I'm a massive fan. Ah. And then she said to someone, she was doing another interview and I overheard her say, she's like, yeah, I was in Paris the other day and some someone came up to me and they, they talked about a TV show I did when I was a teenager and it was so weird. And I was like, oh, thank God I didn't say anything. <laughs> so like being on sets like that are amazing. Like sometimes you get to see like big blockbusters sometimes are very boring because it's a green screen so you can spend Mm. six hours watching someone just take a step and they'll do it over and over and over again but being on like a smaller set especially if it's um outside somewhere you can see i've like seen stunts and stuff can be really interesting and then reality tv sets are sometimes the most interesting because you're watching Mm. it in real time like earlier this year i went to the set of fuckboy island which was, and spent the day on that set. And that was so interesting because you walked into this big bantam where all the fuckboys are living and it was literally like, like they hadn't made it up for TV. Like the fuckboys were, that that was their true characters. <laughs> like they walked in and one's ironing in his underwear and he, and they were being all sexy and trying to like, you know, cause I guess they were just like more women kind of thing. And then you watch them like go, like the date they had set up on the beach and watching Abby Chatfield, like kind of read them to shit and stuff. Like it's very interesting. And we watched them have this like water fire and they kept like, the boys kept going over, they had this little tub of water and they kept like putting water over themselves. Their muscles would glisten. Like you don't see that on camera, but it's just funny watching it behind the scenes. So yeah, being on a set is just, 
it can be really boring because a lot of the time you're just waiting. I mean, not boring for the people who are working because everyone's super busy, but mm. as a writer who's observing, it can just be hours of sitting around and nothing happening. But I find even the real, like the minutiae of it, just watching the sound person plugging cables and watching the makeup girls walk around with their little kits. And I find that so interesting. Yeah. Oh, that would be just be just people watching. People watching would just be yeah. so fascinating. Absolutely. If you're into people watching, a film or TV set is the place to be because everyone has a very particular job. Everyone looks just crazy busy and there's also so much waiting around where you just get to stare at each other. So it's it's a good yeah. it's a good setup. <laughs> it's like yeah, the best spot for people watching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with my interviews every single week on the show, I like to ask my guests, like, you know, some would you rather pop culture questions. However, because you are the pop culture queen, I would love to get your predictions. I would love to get your pop culture predictions. That's what I am interested because you have had to analyze so many different aspects and worlds of pop culture. So I'm very interested to hear okay. your particular prediction, predictions. No pressure or anything. Nothing okay. under pressure at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, as we all know, this year the trend amongst celebrities has been divorces and breakups. Last year the trend was having multiple weddings. What do you think next year's trend amongst celebrities is going to be? I think we're going to see more kind of full-blown flings, if that makes sense. So up and kind of what we're seeing with um, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey a little bit now is, you know, I don't think anyone's saying that's a love story. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe this time next year we'll be talking about their wedding. But I think (laughs) it's been like to be very secretive about that sort of stuff. And I think like um, big kind of celebrity marriages like have and also having multiple weddings were a trend for a long time and now mm. celebrity divorces I mean divorce is always there it's not a trend it's just a trend yeah. to have it more publicized mm. because I think celebrities and their PR teams are very aware at the moment that the audience is very focused on a hero and villain narrative and also mm-hmm. celebrity divorce documentaries are at an all-time high so you kind of want to get your side of the story out there first but I think now people want that lighter celebrity stories they don't want to see everything the celeb posting it just to Instagram so I think we're going to see more of these of utilizing like paparazzi utilizing public spaces to have these more kind of frivolous fun little romance and I think also friendships celebrity friendships took a hit for a while but they're kind of coming right back in like I think that's a very safe space and it's a way to kind of help both of their brands and I don't want to be cynical that like I I think celebrities only think of their public opinion but you do have to to an extent Mm. like I think everything's a lot more managed than we think so I think I think flings for 2024 would be my prediction (laughs) All right, that's a prediction. Yeah, flings. Yeah. Well, Gigi and Bradley, they're already starting at the fling. And yeah, as you said, Taylor and Travis. So, you know, never know. And Mm -hmm. if you're famous, you don't have to be seen if you don't want to. Really, like there's so many many celebrities who have dated for years and we never knew till afterwards. There's so many ways to, you know, if you've got the means, private jets, private cars, private entrances all exist for a reason. If you walk down a particular street in New York, you know, you're going to get photographed then you want the world to know. And that's okay. Yeah. That's the fun celebrity news. No one gets hurt in that. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah. And also like, it's not just this one person mm-hmm. analyzing all this. They're not analyzing it. They have a team of people whose oh, actual yeah. jobs, <laughs> whose salaries depend on them having a good public relations yeah. with their person. Like it's people's entire careers. So yeah. And I've, I absolutely agree with you saying, yeah, if someone wants to be seen, they will make sure they're seen. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Taylor Swift, prediction. Do you think she'll be with Travis Kelsey 2024? What do you predict? God, I don't know. I'm not, Mm. I don't really like Taylor Swift. I'm not as an intense fangirl as like someone who I work with who would be very Mm. big on this. I mean, I I almost hope not for her because she was with, oh God, I say I'm not a fan, but I apparently know her the whole life. So I was going to say, you know, she was with Joel Alwyn for like six years and that was so private. And I think, you know, not to kind of read into people that we don't know anything about, but I think now we're seeing her really relish in this public state and like be able to go out and meet different people. So I'm going to hope that she's on to another sexy fling at that stage and that we're watching that play out like a rom-com just as much as we are now. Cause that's what it feels like. It feels like a rom-com just in real life. So oh, yeah. that's why people are attaching themselves to that narrative. Cause it's just fun, low stakes. 
Yeah. As soon as I saw them in that car, like, and it was, like, full-on getaway car to the, like, the yeah. song, I was just like, oh, this is a rom-com in real life. We're loving it. Oh, was it you? Okay, I listened to that many podcasts. I forget if it's if I, if I it's from you or another podcast. I don't know. Was it you that oh, I said... I the same thing. Yeah. Um, I think it was you saying that because there's not a lot of rom- rom-coms nowadays. <laughs> yes, th- there's not a lot of rom-coms nowadays. So now we just get so invested in celebrities' relationships, especially when it's, like, so um, just, like, oh, what's the word? Like, yeah, like, with their relationship. It's not controversial. It's just very hope punk it's just very like cookie cutter fairy floss sweet and yeah we just love it because that's our version of a rom-com for us yeah exactly because like all the big studios don't really do rom-coms anymore because it's all either become about big tent poles so like marvel movies or blockbusters or remakes all kind of quieter studio movies that can do the awards circuit so mm. that big blockbuster the, the idea of a big blockbuster romance movie which we they used to be like one a week it'd be like a julia roberts or a reese with a spoon yeah. or a Jennifer, someone would come out but a lot of those now just go direct to streaming which is fine but it just means we don't have as many like there's been some amazing ones especially um kind of broadening it out from just a heterosexual relationship like i don't know if you watched red white and royal blue on prime oh. Oh, oh, love. I've oh, honey. Three times since oh, it came out. It's so. That is the chemistry. This is the. That's all. I'm, that should have been on a big screen. Like, you know, uh-huh. make it a blockbuster. That's the, oh. that's the chemistry that I miss in rom coms. So they're still there. They're just not out as much. So, yes, I think I did sound a podcast. I do ramble a lot. That um, <laughs> we're not really getting those kind of really big rom com moments. And the movies that we have, like, you know, there's been a lot of discussion around how movies have forgotten how to include sex. Because there's not really, think of all the movies that have dominated over the last couple of years. It's like they're afraid, like like superhero movies, which I love. I'm a big Marvel fan. Mm. But they have just pushed the idea of sex and desire and relationships out of the picture. And a lot of the movies following them don't have that as well. So you've kind of lost that spark as well. So, yeah, that's why we're all watching Taylor Swift in a football (laughs) game. It's It's a weird circle to come back to. Yeah. And it's so disappointing because there is movies out there. They just need the, yeah, they just need the, the cinematic release. They need the attention because, oh, this is a hill I would die on. Have you heard about the whole thing about with Bottoms? The movie Bottoms? Yes, yes, I have. I'm so, that's, that's, um, the premiere's in Sydney next week. I'm so, so I'm going to miss it. <gasps> but I'm, I'm going to go buy a ticket. They're actually doing a premiere? I did yeah, not know. I don't think the cast is coming. They're doing a big premiere and I'm out of town, but I'm, I want to go buy a ticket and like give them my money. Yes. Sometimes I go buy a ticket for a movie I've already seen. Like I'll go buy it online just to, because I, I see every movie for free, but sometimes yeah. I want to give them my money. So I go online and buy a ticket. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> I love that. Not I really, make, really love you know, that. Money is the only thing that matters. If you know, if you mm-hmm. want these movies to keep coming out, we have to make sure that like you see them in the cinema, and especially on the first weekend if you can, because that yeah. makes all the difference. But sorry, mm-hmm. what were you saying about the controversy? Because I know there has been some. Oh, the fact that the cinematic release has just been pathetic. Like they just only released it in local theaters in the yeah. US, even though the ticket sales has been like I think like two hundred percent higher than what they expected. And yeah, in a sir, if okay, if there's going to be a premiere in Australia, hopefully that means it's coming to cinema because I was very naughty. I really wanted to see it, but nowhere had it. No streaming platforms had it, so I did have to do it the old-fashioned, like um, taken off the internet kind of way. But, I see. <laughs> uh, I will go back. I think I will it is to coming to cinema. You won't uh, see it again. That's fine. I, w- I will watch it so many times. I think it's just so fresh. And again, it's a rom-com, but it's progressive but it's not like oh we're progressive we're doing this it's just like they just happen to be accidentally progressive and it's just oh perfect yeah, exactly. perfect 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 yeah, and it's kind just... of movies we need to make sure but i think i think a lot of people don't even know about it or know that it's coming out like i said like yeah, I exactly know. Mm-hmm. yeah so i guess that's where we need to always be pushing those movies and if you can i know not everyone can and i know like money's tight and all those things but if you ever can go see it on the first weekend it makes mm. such a difference yeah to these okay releases and making sure that we get more movies like that yeah because we just need more content like that because yeah look i love my marvel i love dc mm-hmm. like but we just need both we need a bit of both and i'm a, i'm in a bit of a marvel fatigue at the moment i have to say i am even too though, oh i really since- Ever since, I, I think I'd have to say, ever since Endgame, I've just Me been a too. Big yes. I lived and breathed Marvel because I'll defend this to my dying day that mm-hmm. it is really excellent storytelling. 
and really Absolutely. great character building. And that is why people watch it, not just for the stunts and for the spectacle, because there's a lot of massive blockbuster movies that come out that are just as, um, you know, just have as many action sequences and all that sort of stuff and special effects. And you don't build a franchise like that that spans decades and that has people... I was at the in Endgame. I was sobbing, and I was Damn. sobbing afterwards too, so hard that the mm. Uber driver pulled over and asked me if I was okay. And I was like, "So <laughs> no, I'm not." And so I'll defend that to my dying day as excellent yep. storytelling. But it has, and all, I guess also like because Joss Whedon wrote some of them. I know we're not supposed to say his name anymore because he's really had a downfall. Mm. And you know, it's hard when the person who creates your favorite thing in the world turns out to be a sexist, narcissistic jerk. But yeah. it's where we are now. But yeah. you know, that was his storytelling. So how can I not, not like the movie franchise when some of it was shaped by the same man who made Buffy? But I, mm. I, I'm the same way. I, after Endgame, I've really tapped out with all the TV shows, all the movies. Yeah. It's it's lacking direction, and I think they have said that they admit they've kind of they've pushed it out too much. Black Panther: Wakanda Forever was amazing, but apart from that, there hasn't really been an entry that stands up. So yeah, hard agree. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we just, just, and because, like, we just been working at Sense Wars at 2008 when Iron Man came out, like, we've been working all those years so hard to get to Endgame, and, like, um, Infinity War, that, like, left the whole world on a standstill with the blip, like. That's in my top five movies of all time. I'm not even sorry about it. Infinity War. (laughs) Oh, like, to see that many grown men around you sobbing, um, like after seeing Tom Holland going like, oh, I don't want to go. Oh, oh, I forget what forget what we were saying, but it was just so no, hard. I don't want to. He says, I don't want to go. Oh. Yeah, no, it's so, but all the idiot, the emotion. But every frame of that movie. Now we're really nerds. Every frame <laughs> of that movie is perfectly done. Every beat of storytelling yeah. is so fast paced mm-hmm. and so well executed, and it's a payoff for all of these moments that were set up. You know, years and years beforehand. That's yeah. just good storytelling. And that's what that mm-hmm. is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so then that's another prediction that I have for you. What's your prediction for Marvel DC in 2024? Are we going to finally see less movies or are they still going to just be churning out as many movies and TV shows? No, I think think it's if we're going to see a change in how those movies are structured or come out, it's not something we're going to see for about five years or so because they work so far in advance and these next phases are really kind of already mapped out. So I'd say with Marvel, this next phase, I'm kind of interested with how they do the movie universe with bringing back in like Benedict Cumberbatch and Elizabeth Olsen's, Elizabeth Olsen's characters and Tom Holland's characters and kind of having them as the central group. I don't think they've done enough to set that up yet, but they all have new movies coming out. So maybe that will work. I think that they're really looking closely at the Marvel TV universe and they're going to rein that back in, thank God. I think the only movie that people are excited, the only TV show people are really excited about now that Loki season two is out is um, Catherine Hahn, even though I think that might be on the cutting block, is getting her Agatha spinoff from from, um, Elizabeth Olsen's show. And with DC, it's interesting because they obviously have taken Henry Cavill out of playing Superman Unfortunate for him, he didn't get that contract signed before he left mm. The Witcher, which has really upset me because I want to watch. Don't get me started on that, honey. That show. Don't get me started. Sorry, I've been through enough. <laughs> it's been a rough couple of years. I've been through enough. I don't deserve to watch Liam Hemsworth in The Witcher. Sorry, I'm tuning oh, out. Oh, um, just but, you know, no. they've cast they've cast all new stars. So they're obviously trying to really revamp that. So I think it'll be different, and I think it'll it'll kind of like I think and I think superhero movies are still going to be the dominant the really like a dominant force in the film industry for a really long time because unfortunately that is or fortunately i guess because you know they make it helps the studio make money so they can make other projects but i think they're still the biggest money driver Mm. that we're going to keep seeing those movies come out and also just remakes of different Disney movies and different IP and kind of like that's why like the Wonka movies coming out all these sorts of things like you know what I mean? Like people, studios are very scared at the moment to invest in original productions and stories and invest in anything that doesn't already have a set IP because that's where the money is. And now that we're coming off the writer's strike and the actor's strike is still going, the 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 movies that are coming out where we're going to see a really kind of, we're going to see a lot of that kind of that pipeline of movies really kind of falter for a while, I think. So 
I guess a few good independent movies, like some movies were allowed to film during the actors and writers strikes because they adhered to all of the um, stipulations that were in the original agreement. So I guess the good thing is that we'll see a few good independent movies come through. It's a silver lining. Yes, hopefully, hopefully. And just my, all I hope is, I hope not every single movie is going to be a Mattel toy movie because they thought that is the way to go with Barbie being such a success. Let's have every movie be about toys instead of it being, uh-huh. let's have more movies be about female empowerment and feminism and yeah, looking is, at various perspectives. Yeah. That is the wildest <laughs> thing to come out of Barbie is that you see this, yeah, this female, female-led movie that's really complex and funny and is also just like when I was talking to Margot Robbie about it at the, um, at the Sydney drink scene they had, she was saying that and she was saying in our interview as well like this is a this is a top grade movie she's like it's not just a women's movie it's not just Mm -hmm. a a toy movie it's just a really high caliber movie we use the best people and we made it the best movie it could be and I I honestly believe it comes across that way and Mm -hmm. instead of getting more movies you're right with female-led directors and telling women's stories and all that sort of thing we're getting an uno movie what am I going to wear to an Uno movie premiere? A yellow card? We're getting oh, we're getting a Rubik's cube movie. A Betty, what's that? Oh. A doll that wets herself. A Betty Weddy movie. Oh my we're, god! Yeah. Oh, it's just insane. The movies that are coming out. So the only one I'm excited <laughs> for is the Polly Pocket movie because Lena Dunham's been working on that for a really long time, and I think that oh. she's a really great writer. So I think she she's a brilliant. Even the, even though I know she has like you know some problematic stuff about yeah. her, she is brilliant. We can't deny that. Yeah, she's a brilliant writer. She's been working on Polly Pocket, the screenplay, for a really long time, and I think now like that's probably the only one I'm excited about. And Lily Collins playing Polly Pocket, is, I think mm. it's just like that's what she looks like, exactly like her, and she's a good actress. I'll die yeah. on that hill. Emily in Paris is a great show. <laughs> See, that is a pop culture moment I cannot get into. Emily oh, Paris, really? I just I just can't. I've tried, but oh, I just did can't. Did you watch the whole first season? That's, look, that's what, Can I tell you? I watch it because I think we don't have a lot of aesthetic TV shows left anymore. Mm. Can I tell you how many times I've watched Emily in Paris every season? I At least know. 10. Ah! Everyone. I'm, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to admit it. Well, I'm not embarrassed. I tell everyone. <laughs> out that long that's like that's like a like the amount you watch for like Gilmore Girls or Buffy or something because I think like I (laughs) I love a gritty tv show as much as everyone else I love a dark Mm -hmm. tv show I love a tv show that challenges me and makes me think and makes me cry I can't handle that on a Saturday morning yeah when I sit on my couch with my coffee and I decompress from the week I just want aesthetic tv so like um the bold type or younger which I love both of those sex and the city but all but out of all of them, Emily in Paris is just this beautiful. I don't even have to have the sound on. I'll watch that girl in her silly outfit <laughs> walk through the streets of Paris and get coffee with no sound on. It's just, I find it very soothing and very beautiful. And it makes me think about being in Paris and getting a coffee and a cocktail without, without having to leave my couch. Like, I think that we're missing that level of escapist TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That's, I think some people get that from reality TV and I don't. I get it from Emily in Paris. So I just, it's really <laughs> upsetting me that Emily in Paris has delayed season four because my sister and I usually watch it on Christmas Day. Yes, that's news. right. Oh my God. That's right. Once yes. the kids are in, other, uh, you know, we don't have kids, but our nephews are in bed and the family's kind of broken up for the day because we've been going all day. Emily in Paris comes out like the day before or like the week before. So we, my sister Lucy and I save it and we watch it on Christmas Day. So Christmas is off this year because no Emily in Paris. Yeah. What are you going to do? Are you just going to like just rewatch it's some episodes? It's not going to celebrate Christmas. Oh, I Christmas think? is cancelled. It's off. Yeah. Can't do it oh. without Emily in Paris. Oh. And, her, and the fact that she <laughs> still can't speak French. What is it like three seasons in and still can't yeah. speak French? Yeah. Poor oh, God. God. Poor girl. <laughs> Bless her. Oh, well, I think we can talk about pop culture for hours upon hours upon hours, my dear. But we do have to come to an end, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> Where can people find you if they want to know more about your obsession with pop culture and <laughs> your obsession with Henry Cavill being better than Liam Hensworth for the upcoming Witcher? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is the rock I'll die on. Um, yes. I guess I post all, um, I obviously do podcasts and I write. I post it all to Instagram. It's not cool enough to be on TikTok. So it's Laura underscore Brodnick on Instagram. Um, and also The Spill is a daily podcast that I host. Sometimes it's smart, sometimes it's not. 
it's a daily show, so it's it's pop culture, <laughs> it's recommendations, it's celebrity, and we we go very highbrow. We also go very lowbrow. So it just depends on the day. But we're there every day. If you want to listen to this shrill voice over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> well i enjoy your podcast i've been listening to it for like three Aww. like literally since day dot of the beginning because i inhale pop culture and i've learned so so much from you and all the hosts that you've had over the years and yeah um as soon as i knew i was going to put together this podcast i'm just like oh i gotta have it. i gotta have laura on <laughs> yeah gotta have her on she's in my ears all the time and that many times i tell my partner Oh, so I was listening to this podcast and, you know, Laura said something. He's just like, oh, yeah, Laura. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's just like, oh, yeah, I know her. Yeah, you talk about that, her. That yeah. woman who's always got an opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you so much. Thank you, beautiful humans, for listening to today's episode of Feeling Nostalgic. Make sure you go and check out Laura's podcast for more daily entertainment, gossip, and celebrity news at The Spill. And also be sure to follow Laura and The Spill on Instagram. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, leave a rating, leave a review, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell all the relatives you're going to be seeing over Christmas that you really have no idea what else to talk about. So this could be a great discussion point if you have nothing to talk about when you do small talk. Sorry, that was very soft right there. But anyway, tell everyone about it. If you enjoy the show, let me know. And I will see you all next week for our final episode of the year. And we'll be talking all things Christmas and pop culture with some sisters who are obsessed with Christmas more than anyone else I have ever met in my life. See if that is a good clue for you for next week's guest and our final show for the year. Until then, I will see you all next week. Say hi to your dog for me. We acknowledge this podcast was recorded on Aboriginal land. This land is and always will be Aboriginal land.